If you've been listening to the Make Light Show, you know that when I say make light, I'm usually talking about infusing your work with meaning and purpose, as well as being mindful about looking for light in the people around you, in the world, and in gratitude. By doing all of these things, finding purpose, intentionally seeking light, expressing gratitude, I find that you end up living a joyful life. So when I met today's guest, Jeff Harry, I knew he was my people. He is personified joy and a play evangelist. As a coach, he does workshops with organizations on how to include play in their workplaces so that they create an atmosphere full of innovation and creativity. But he also does one-on-one sessions with individuals on how to include play in their lives. Needless to say, I had to have him as a guest and I can't wait for you to hear his amazing story. It's all next on today's episode. Welcome to the Make Light Show, the podcast that's all about infusing your life and work with meaning and using your superpowers to change the world. I'm Karen Walrand, leadership coach and author of the best-selling book, The Beauty of Different, Observations of a Confident Misfit. Join me as we explore ways to curate an intentional life and positively impact those around you in the process. Work your purpose, change your world, make light. Before we get into today's interview, I have some big news. Lime Retreats is back. Lime Retreats is an intimate, dream-making, goal-setting, strategy-activating day retreat in a funky art gallery here in Houston, Texas, where we're going to talk about value-powered living and infusing meaning into our work. This year's retreat is scheduled for Saturday, November 16th, and space is incredibly limited. In fact, it's filling up fast. But if you register now and use coupon code COMEANDLIME, all one word, on checkout, you'll receive $25 off the $2.99 registration fee. So just go to LimeRetreats.com and enter COMEANDLIME to get $25 off. And by the way, Houston is a wonderful city, especially in November when it's not too hot and not too cold. So consider making a weekend of it. There's a link on that page with suggestions on where to stay, where to eat, and so much more. Again, go to LimeRetreats.com and enter coupon code COMEANDLIME to spend the day with me and a small group of light bearers and magic makers as we work on curating a light-filled life. I really hope you'll join me. Okay, with that, let's dive into my interview with the always fun Jeff Harry. Enjoy. Jeff, my love, I am so excited to have you on the Make Light Show. Oh, I'm so amped. (laughs) Well, look, you know, I was trying to remember exactly when we met, and I don't know how many years ago, but I know it was at a conference, Mm -hmm. and I remember seeing this fine brother walking around with a Lego bow tie, thinking, what's going on there? I actually exactly remember when we met. Oh, oh God. Okay. It was the Arizona Mom 2.0 yep. conference. And I was walking around with my colleague and we were just looking for fun people. <laughs> like that's literally what we do at Hall Conference. We're like, where are the fun people? And you were laughing and high-fiving and just like, you know, you were just being you. And I was like, we need to speak to her. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you did because I've seen you at several conferences, Phil. And 
You so exude joy. And who knew you're a champion and you're an evangelist of play. So I, I, I just adore you, as you know. And so I want everybody else to adore you too. So let's start from the very beginning. Sure. Okay. What do you want to know? Well, let's start. I don't know. Let's not. I don't. Well, well okay. Let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in Blue Island, Illinois. Yes. In my father's hospital, the one he worked at. Oh, your dad was a doctor. Yeah, a cardiologist. Very, very good. And but, but you also have because this is one of the reasons that I feel so drawn to you is you also have Caribbean roots, right? Yeah. So my dad is from the small island of Saint Vincent off mm-hmm. the coast of Barbados. Yep. So we're talking about a hundred thousand people on that island, right? Right. And then right. my mom's from the Philippines, <gasps> and then of course they met in Minnesota sure. at the Mayo Clinic. <laughs> so is your met, mom a the, doctor too? She's though she was a nurse. Okay. Well, they actually met in an operating room. He was, she was the attending nurse and he was the doctor. Wow. And did the patient so, and live? This is in the, and this is in the frigid cold of, of Minneapolis. And they're both like, what are we doing here? But did the patient live? That's the big thing. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So you, you were born in the Midwest, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, Chicago. Uh, and then like, so, cause not, you don't meet too many adults that are into play. So like, yeah. did you study play in college? Like, where'd you go? How did that happen? That's actually a really interesting way of phrasing it. So do you remember the movie Big? Yes, loved it. So when I saw Big, the part that I took from it the most, what I was like, wait a minute, there's a guy who can play with toys for a living and that is what he does that's that's his profession <laughs> how, old were, that, how old were you how old were you when you saw this fifth grade fifth, fifth grade. grade all right so this is tom hanks's movie the amazing tom hanks's tom hanks. movie yeah, yeah. great uh, movie if you haven't seen you gotta see it right um, and, and the premise was i think that he wakes up at, at like nine or ten years old in a in an adult body right yeah he wishes that he was older right because right. He, then he would have more freedom you know it was one of the first ones that of those movies that did that right anyway that day i started writing toy companies so i would get on my word processor and i would write letters to them at and the letters 15 at first years old at at fit what's fifth grade like 11 oh, 10, like 10, 10 or 11, 11 years old yeah wow and 11 wow. like and and at first they were really short so they were like hire me you know and then <laughs> i was like you know and then later on they were really long they were like four or five pages long I wish I had some copies left, but they were just all of my ideas for toys. And wait, and, and so you're writing these letters to like, what, like Mattel or I'm Wemo writing to Mattel, like... Hasbro, oh Cap Toys, you know, um, Activision, just, just long. And the thing that was crazy was sometimes they would get mailed back to me. Okay. Because I, the letter was too big and it was too heavy. <laughs> So then I would put multiple stamps on it. But then I thought, because I had a word processor, not a typewriter, I printed out multiple copies. So I would send five of the same <gasps> letter to oh a company. God. So I was spamming before spamming was a thing. <laughs> so wait, you you're, you're 10 years old. What are your parents saying about I this? I don't know. Whether I'm, like, I'm like 10, 11, 12. I'd be like, mom, we got to go to the post office again. And she's like, okay. She had no idea what I was doing. I love this. All and, right. So what did they say when they wrote when they wrote they back? They would send that horrible letter back that goes, thank you for your interest. Yeah. We have people that blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. You know, just generic because they thought I was an adult, I think. Wow. Like I don't to this day I have no idea what they thought. But like, 
<laughs> now, if he was Twitter, like they'd bring me in as like a 10 year old, be like, oh, you know, let's let's utilize this kid. Right. But instead, um, yeah. So I did that all the way up until I was like 14, 15. And then uh, a company eventually wrote me back um, and I asked them what I should major in. And they told me mechanical engineering. And that's what I went into. Oh, OK. Um, and then I went to Tufts. And while I was at Tufts, I, I don't know, there was something called Lego. Before Lego Robotics, there was something called Lego Dacta that MIT had worked on. And then they gave it to Tufts to mess around with. So I got to like mess, test pilot it. Okay, wait, no, no. You, you, have, you have skipped. You have skipped some things. So you go to Tufts University as a mechanical engineer. Yeah. And somehow serendipitously, MIT has been working with Lego and gives a project to Tufts that you magically yeah, get on. Yeah, exactly. Which was super weird. Um, and then after that, I graduated. Wait, and wait, I so went, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, I'm going to stop you every single time here because this is just like mesmerizing to me. Yeah. So you're a mechanical engineering major and you're yep. walking around the university as, as an ME and people are like, oh, where do you want to work? And you're like, I want to work for a toy company. Like, were you that focused even yeah, then? Or were you like, focused. no, I'm going to be in NASA at this point? No, I was that focused. So I was just like, I'm working for a toy company or I'm making my own toy. That's what's happening. Wow. Like, it was just so clear. It was so clear. It That's was so amazing. interesting how clear I was. Um, and then I graduated and became unclear. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> you know, the inner critic's like, what are you doing? Right. Um, so then I remember sneaking into Toy Fair in New York. Um, uh, I remember writing 80 toy companies, 80 to, writing 80 letters to toy companies in my first three months that I was in New York um, and just getting rejection letters everywhere. Right. And then I remember writing a letter to the Toys R Us Corporation. Um, and in the letter, I said, you know what you should do? You should open up your toys and have kids be able to play with them in the, in the store. Okay. And that got me an interview at the, at the corporation, which was in New Jersey. So I'm then, just so blown and then, away by this. And then that eventually led, for me, led me to work in their labor planning department. And I was like, I'm going to stay here forever and work my way up. You and know, within like a, within a month, I was like, I hate this. Because it was, <laughs> Wait, so Jeff, because, this, is, this is blowing my mind. Wait, so you must have been like an amazing student, right? Like, like how does this get you in the door? No, I think I was a C plus student. Oh my God. <laughs> if so I think you, about my GPA now, I mean, it's a little <laughs> while, but I don't think I was doing well in mechanical engineering, but I was creative. Okay. I was more, I probably... Okay, so here's here's an example of like what I sometimes did at Tufts. Okay. So I would sometimes I remember I dropped out of a computer science class because it was way too hard. Okay. And I just went to the black studies class and audited it. And this guy, I remember he was like this renowned professor would be like, "Who are you? Because you are here more than my regular students." You know, like right. I was just that curious about like um things outside of engineering. I probably should not have majored engineering, but that, that was just what I did. Okay. So, um, like, engineering wasn't my joy. I felt like engineering was my way to get to where I thought I wanted to go. Wow. Okay. So I eventually am like, all right, I'm in a, a toy retail corporation. I can work my way up and maybe, like, network to work for Mattel or Hasbro and all this. Right. But while I was there, it just sucked, dude. Like, I was in <laughs> cubicles. Right, right. And I was like, why do cubicles have the same padding as psychiatric wards? Right. Like, you know what? Like, what is up with that? Like, I felt claustrophobic. 
Um, and this was, I was living in Brooklyn and commuting to Paramus, New Jersey. So it was like a two hour commute oh each God. way. Okay. Um, and then 9-11 happens. <gasps> wow. Okay. And wait. I'm like, so this is, so this is amazing. All right. So I'm trying to think, cause you and I have very similar backgrounds in that I went to engineering school mm-hmm. and I thought I was going to build, I was, I, it was the closest thing I could get to architecture is what I wanted to be, but everybody mm. told me I wasn't artistic. And so I thought, okay, structural engineering. Dude. Um, and then went to the cubicles, just like you thought, this is soul crushing. Yep. And so I went to law school. (laughs) Somehow you didn't do (laughs) that. Because you're like, you're like, you know, what's not soul crushing. (laughs) Okay. I wasn't a smart about it. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like a standardized test to really get you going. To really get you going. So, okay. So you are, you are making this horrible commute. You're working in like Cubicleville and September 11th happens. And what happened? September 11th happened. And I remember that, that day and the day after, because it was like, I may die. Right. So what am I doing? Like, what am I doing here? And I remember commuting. Remember, like, you know, like we gathered all these, um, I gathered all this money for donations and bought all like these things that like, you know, the firefighters and police needed. And this is part of the reason why I both love New York and hate New York. Mm. So I remember bringing it all down to 14th Street in my car and being like, hey, can I can I give you this stuff? And the cop was like, yeah, park it right here. And while I'm giving it to one policeman, another one is writing a ticket. <gasps> so oh so I was like, New York. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, fast, fast forward a little bit. I, I stayed with Toys R Us. I helped them open up their Times Square Toys R Us store. Okay. So, and then what was ironic was the job that I got was to be a product demonstrator where I would play with toys in the largest toy store in the world. That's amazing. So I literally was playing with toys underneath the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And, so, but this and, is a dream and coaching job. How baseball is this not the dream and, job? I know, right? It was. For a bit, it was. Um, and coaching baseball in Prospect Park and doing this. Oh and it gosh. was awesome. And then I remember, like, um, you know, that Christmas rolls around of 2001. And then I remember them laying everybody off. And they kept just a few of us on. Okay. And then I did a Jerry Maguire. I I wrote a manifesto oh, no. <laughs> and I stuffed it in 50 different boxes because I was like, how could you like fire everyone when you said it was like all about unity and, you know, trust and belief. And, you, you know, like, Jeff, like you, you, know, did you know how you write. are in your 20s and you're like, <laughs> I'm going to fight for it, you know, for justice. And you did like, not write a manifesto. Oh, I did. I did. And Had I you seen Jerry like, Maguire? On, oh, yeah, he got fired. And so you'd seen it and you still did it. I had not seen it when I wrote. <laughs> I don't even know if it was out because this was like 2002. Right. Anyway, right. they thought I was going to unionize the store. So out she went. They didn't fire me, but they kind of guided me out. And I was like, <laughs> man, I don't even want to be in New York anymore. I'm out. So okay. I then went to the West Coast um, in, um, and I moved to Oakland because Oakland was like the new Brooklyn, you know? Right. Except for it was like, there was just more black people. So I was like, this is dope. Right. Um, so... And then I worked for some other toy companies, like I worked for Sega. And each time I like had this like joy that, oh, this is going to be it. Right. You know, right. oh, I am applying to Leapfrog. I could get win with Leapfrog. Each time I realized like they were just selling plastic mm. and it mm. was so disappointing. Mm. So then, frankly, I just was like, you know, I remember leaving a job, literally walking out um, and uh, um, in a dramatic fashion, um, <laughs> and um, I, I could tell you another time. 
about that <laughs> hilarity. Um, and then I was like unemployed for two, three, four months. And then I found this job on Craigslist where it was a Lego engineering instructor. And I was like, huh, I used to do that at Tufts. I can do that. And you found, and this, when, you found it on Craigslist? Craigslist. Craigslist. And the interview was hilarious because it was a guy that was the same age as me. Okay. And I come in and he's like, yeah, we're building carnivals today. All right, get started. And I'm like, what is happening? And at the end of it, he was just like, yeah, do you want the job? And I'm like, what is this organization? This is super weird. Right. Um, and the organization Playwell, there were seven, it was just seven engineers um, that had just started it. And the whole goal was to get people interested, uh, get kids interested in engineering and just like have them be fascinated with how things work. And they used play and Lego to do it. So I was like, oh, I'm down, you know? Wait, wait, stop, stop. So like, and you're, you're still affiliated with them, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I need to understand what, what play, well, like you're talking to an engineer and a lawyer here, right? So I need mm -hmm. to understand what play well is like, so would like kids organizations hire you guys to do, like, yeah. how did so, that happen? So, so it was interesting. The, the, uh, my boss, Tim, uh, who was, who was like a fascinating geotechnical engineer that like worked on a lot of the tunnels in Colorado. Mm -hmm. He started this free for all camp where kids could just show up and they could take apart VCRs and TVs mm. and build like, you know, stuff out of Lego and and they would build huge catapults. They would fire water <laughs> balloons over the roof. Nice. Like he just had this free for all camp. And then at some point, a school was like, this is really cool. Can you bring this to a school? And he's like, I can't bring all of this. And he's they're like, just bring the Lego. So then he just made up this 20,000 piece Lego kit and he just started showing up to schools for their after-school programs. And then during the summer, camps would be, camp locations, all the parks and recs would be like, hey, can you teach this? That's so amazing. Like, by the time I showed up in 2004, I think he started in 97, it hadn't really grown a lot, but it was just, it was just you know, in the bay. Okay. Um, and so there were seven of us. And then, frankly, um, the person that hired me, Alex, he was from Stanford, and I'm from Tufts, and we were like, dude, we could be doing you know, jobs that pay us so much more. But instead we're working for, I think it was like 200 bucks a week mm. at the time. Like mm. it was super, like we were, but it was fun. It was just super fun. Right, right, right. So then we eventually were like, Tim, like, yo, how do we make this work? And he's like, well, you're just going to have to expand it. So we were like, all right, you know, what do we do? And he's like, well, you have to go to other cities. And we're like, how do we do this? And he's like, I don't know, if, you know, figure it out. So we figured it out wow. and we, and our literally, we had no business plan and talk about play, <laughs> talk about play. Like we made decisions on what cities we wanted to go to based on how fun they were. Like that was it. And how did like, you, how did you LA. decide what, like how fun it would be personally for you guys? Yeah. Personally for me to be like, who, uh, I want to go to LA. My sister's there. I'll go hang out. I want to, well, I'm already there. Why don't I go to San Diego? That's a really fun place. You know, wow. oh, let's go to Colorado. Oh, uh, let's go. Anyone want to go to Wyoming now? You know, and it would just like evolve that way. And the whole point was to find other nerds because we were like growing nerds of the future. Right. And then we would attract other nerds. And it was just like, wait, what do you do for a living? And we we're like, we play with Lego for a living. We, you know, we inspire kids using play and Lego. And people would be like, oh, I'm so nerdy. I got to be down with that. And it kind of just evolved. And from 2004 to now, um, now we have 400 staff. 
Oh my gosh. And we teach a hundred thousand kids a year. Um, yeah. This is, yeah. I'm just, I'm so blown away. This is the, actually the first time I've actually heard this sort of origin story of that. That is, yeah. that is amazing. And I think what's really, what's really amazing about it is, I mean, your whole journey, you've been sort of led by your own intuition and your gut, right? Like, mm -hmm. like it doesn't sound like other than the, the, the guy who told you study mechanical engineering, if you want to get yep. into, into this, like you've really been like, yeah, this isn't right. This doesn't feel right. Yep. And it's worked. Yep. Like yeah. surely there had to be some sort of like, I mean, you're, 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 you're kind of playing it off as like, okay, we didn't have a business plan, which I, I, I do believe that. And, but, <laughs> but like, did you ever, like you had to have some sort of like logic behind, you know, this is, this is going to take off. This is, this is going to be big. Like, how did you know? Or did you just not? That doesn't we we didn't know. Really? We still don't know. Like we still, it, we, it's such, I always talk about this. It's such the play oriented mindset that mm -hmm. whole, I also refer to as the travel oriented mindset when you're like traveling, right? And you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to hop on a zip line, even though it's not safe here, but I'm going to do it. You know, like, I don't understand right. why people go skydiving in Bali. You're like, this is not safe, but people right. do it right. When right. they're in that travel mode, they're just yes. Anding everything. Yeah. And that's really kind of what we did because even afterwards, like I took a break from Playwell to work, um, of, for organizing for America. So basically it was like Obama's yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. organization afterwards mm -hmm. because I was like heavily involved during the campaign, the 2008 one. Okay. Um, and I remember coming back um, and when I first came back, a corporation contacted me. It was like, hey, do you do team building events? Mm. And we were like, what's that? And we were like, yeah, sure. Because that was just our attitude with everything. Right. And then they were like, yeah. Like, we were like, okay, well then come do it in two weeks and we're like man now we got to make it up right, you know right, and that's right. kind of how we did everything right you know at one point we were on a six-year lego tour with lego like going to these massive stadiums um for this thing called lego kids fest and we were like we had never even fathomed that we would ever be like working next to lego right in any, right. In any capacity right and now like because like i've now worked with a lot of of companies we now build gigantic like logos out of lego and right. have these huge play activations at their conferences and i never thought we'd be able to do that and i'm still just making stuff up as we go along like mm. the la public zoo is like we want to talk about endangered species okay how about we build endangered species out of lego and maybe see if we can break a world record we're just like constantly making wow. it up as we go along Right. I love it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I don't want to like skip over the fact that there's like doubt and the inner critic shows up and it's sure. just like, what are we doing? And I don't know. And all that stuff shows up. But when our, our you know, Tim will say, like, are we doing good and are we happy? Like, do good, be happy is the motto. I love that. And it's and it's like, that's it. Are we doing good in the world? And is it bringing happiness to our lives? Yeah. You know, and as long as it is great. And if it's not, then at that point that it's like, okay, well then you've finished the wave here. And then we want to help you go and figure out the next fun play thing you want to do. Yeah. Um, and that's the part that's been super cool because then in addition to play well, because I've now been working more and more with adults, like I created this other um, organization 
where I just advocate play, where I speak about play, where I run workshops about like playing with your inner critic. I just ran a workshop at a marketing conference called dealing uh, with your a-hole at work through play. Yeah, I saw you know? that. And it was just like, like I'm testing out these other ways and how do you use play as a medium to address really tough issues and conflicts in a safe environment? Because if you can create that safe practice environment, and you do it well there, then you have more bravery to be able to go and do it out there. So I do want to talk about that because I think it's very um, easy for most people to understand why an organization like Playwell would work for kids, right? Like, because kids naturally play anyway, right? Um, And there comes a moment, and I don't know when that is, it's probably Mm. around your teenage years, that, Mm -hmm. that play for play's sake starts to take a backseat. Like you might play mm-hmm. on a team or you might play competitively yep. or something, but you don't really just like have the same sort of play, imaginative play that maybe you had as a child. And so I would have thought that it would be sort of tough to, to convince adults that play was important. So what have you learned on, you know, in your journey with play and why are you so committed to bringing play into adult situations? So um, it's interesting you describe it that way, because I remember recently seeing this uh, meme or whatever it is, or this post where someone was like, there was a point when you were a kid when you went to the playground for the last time. Yeah, wow. And it's like, oh, God, this is so sad. That is like, so sad. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't know that. Right. You didn't know when you went out there that day, but then you became too cool or whatever it is. Right. But I think the thing that I find so fascinating, right, is like I see play as important as like love, eating, sleeping mm. and breathing. Why? And the reason why is when you talk to companies about creativity, innovation, risk taking, all mm. those buzzwords, right? Where does that come from? Mm. It comes from a play mindset. It comes from this place where you feel safe enough to take a risk and try something that's never been done before. And it's ironic that like, you know, companies are like, you know, we, we got we to gotta meet our numbers and we got to do this and we got to do that. But when you think of a lot of organizations and companies when they first started out, they were doing it because it was, it was fun. Yeah. And because it was like, this would be a really cool idea to figure out um, or a cool problem to solve. And I always think of the story of the Wright brothers. I think Malcolm Gladwell talked about this, how the Wright brothers were, you know, developing the airplane, right? But they don't talk about, I believe there was another group of people uh, funded by major car uh, companies. So I don't know if it was GM or Ford, but they hired the best scientists. They hired the best engineers. They had so much more money than the Wright brothers. But why did the Wright brothers finish before them? Okay. It was because they were having fun. Right, right. <laughs> because they were doing it for the, for fun's sake. And what's so interesting about that is then the community, the city, the, you know, that town was just like just so excited for them that they started helping out and were like, mm. maybe you need this or maybe you need that, you know. Um, while there was so much pressure and fear um driving the other organization that they never were gonna get there. And I love this quote from, I think, Steve Johnson, where it's just like the future 
is where people are having the most fun. Mm. And you have to ask that for your company. Is your company like stagnant, stale, not taking risks anymore, just trying to like meet your numbers and meet the status quo? And how do you bring that fun back? Because the fun is where you evolve. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I'm so interested by this. Um, it's bringing to mind, I just watched, there's a Netflix special right now on, um, I think it's called Inside Bill Gates' Mind or something like that. It's about Bill Gates. Mm. Um, and the very first episode, uh, he, ta- he talks about what the Gates Foundation is doing for sanitation, right? Because, he, you know, the way he said it is, Clean water is sexy. Everybody wants to bring clean water to places that don't have it. But right. really, sanitation is really what um, we need to work on. And oh, nobody a- wants to talk about sanitation because it's not right. as sexy. And so when he uh. discovered that it's something, it's some horrible percentage of children under five, I think it's the leading cause of death for children under five in the world is diarrhea. Oh it's, it's diarrhea because like in the, in Developed countries, if your kid has diarrhea, you know, you go to the pharmacist and you give them something, but they don't have that. And so kids get dehydrated and they die. Right. And so sanitation becomes this really big thing. And so he contacted all of these major universities to say, we got to figure out how to create basically a toilet that doesn't need fresh water, that doesn't need power, that can help, you know, sanitize. And nobody wrote back. Right. Nobody, Nobody responded. So then what he did was he's like, he created a contest. And he said, I will give a contest, you know, I will create this contest. And if you you, universities come up with something, you get $7 million. And suddenly, (laughs) suddenly it was play, right? Like suddenly you weren't hired to do it anymore. So it's kind of like what you're talking about is sort of that play mentality. Yep. You know, he sort of created that and, and they did it right. They, you know, like seven or eight universities that suddenly showed up with these amazingly innovative ways to tackle the problem. So so, okay, so this makes sense to me, what you're saying for um, corporations or businesses, like if you can get them to um, understand that, that sort of hooking into that play mindset is how you can hook into that creativity mindset and innovation. Um, but I know you recently started doing one-on-one coaching too, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been, doing, I've been doing one-on-one coaching and speaking um, a lot about um, the, the wor- workshop I've been running has been playing with your inner critic. Yeah. Which is super interesting because it's this idea in the workshop that I run. Um, I was just running it in Colorado. Uh, what you do is you identify your inner critic because a lot of times you you think your inner critic is yourself, right? It's not. Um, but what's super interesting is if you actually first write down what your inner critic is saying and then you identify what the like top three traits are and that i learned this from um my friend marcia shandor who's talking she refers to it as the inner beast okay um, and then after you do that then you figure out how the inner critic sounds and how the inner credit critic uh looks like and then you actually put a name to it um one thing you're actually doing i've learned this in positive psychology you're actually disassociating yourself from it you're identifying it as something separate from you. yeah okay and the more you're able to do that over and over again through practice like my friend and i would literally text each other what our inner critic were saying okay and by just simply doing that and putting light on it um it actually quieted the inner critic down okay um and that like then frees you up to do so much more because then you're like 
it's just like a beautiful mind. Oh, I see that you're there. Thank you for your feedback. Right. Thank you for telling me I'm not worthy or that I shouldn't take a risk or I shouldn't like apply to speak here or, or reach out and tell someone I love them. Um, I see what you're doing. You're trying to protect me. Appreciate it. And also, I'm still going to do it because I believe that I, I want to do this. I right, feel compelled right. to do this. And it's almost like, are you listening to your inner critic? Or are you listening to your superhero? And I really resonate with this quote I heard from Viola Davis at a work at a conference she was at where she said, you either claim who you are or you end up chasing your worth for the rest of your life. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, God. (laughs) And you just think about like how many people are chasing their worth? How many times have I chased your chased my worth? And it really is that decision that you're making all the time with every Every choice you make, is it going to be about love or is it going to be about fear? Is it going to be about claiming who I am or is it going to be about people pleasing for someone else? Mm. And like, that's the stuff that like, um, just excites me because if you're able to get people to recognize their superpowers, their superhero powers, I, I describe it that way because it's like, it's a, it is a very unique aspect of you that you might even consider a flaw or a weird Work. And I remember Tanya Catan would talk about this a lot where she would be like, your flaws are your superpower. The things that you were most embarrassed about when you were a kid um, are where you can find your strongest attributes. Absolutely. I mean, I wrote a book on you, it, right? The beauty of different. That's exactly right. what it's about. It's that, right. that difference is really the source of everything. Yes. You know, it's the source of everything. So, so how do you coach somebody of that then? So you like when you have that one-on-one, if I come in to you and I'm like, like describe what your, who your client is, I guess. What, who is the person that calls you and um, says, I need your I, I have a variety of interesting clients. There are clients that are like, I, have a, I don't play enough, okay. which is a really interesting one. Right. There are other ones that are like, I'm stagnant in like my job or I'm right. stagnant in like, and how I feel about my life. And I want to like, reinvigorate it like i want to get some way in which to like infuse more play and just more joy um into it and then others that are like i'm trying to figure out what's next right but i don't know i want i don't want to do something i've already done everything i've already chased my worth for a long enough time yeah but i now want to really figure out who i am and i want to claim that and i need help in figuring that out And that's the fascinating process because then we'll do it through a lot of play where, you know, there's a, I do a lot of asking of forward thinking questions. And and a lot of times when I'm coaching, like we don't know where we're going to go, right? but by the end of it, we come up with some action plan that also involves like, how, how are we going to get more joy today? Mm. Um, And I'm writing an article right now about like how many um, want to's do you have and how many have tos do you have yeah, in a given day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wow. how do you just simply increase the want tos? I'm not saying you can't. You you have responsibilities. You have all this stuff you have to do. But let's just look at the want tos and be like, can we get one more want to in there? You know, and you yeah. start to tilt it as opposed to like I think a lot of times with you know like the Tony Robbins and everything are like you're gonna change everything tomorrow, and it's like no, no. Like how do you just? do a little bit more of the things that bring you joy every day. And if you don't really know what that is, a lot of times I tell people like, what did you do when you were 10? Mm. Because typically what you were doing at 10 that brought you a lot of joy will tie either to what you're doing now 
or will tie either to what you want to be doing. Right. Sure. Sure. That's so funny because I, I literally have started like working out again, except I hate working out. So I don't mm-hmm. like to call it that. So everything that I'm doing to move every day, I thought, well, what did I used to love to do? Like when I was 10. And so like I'm jump roping and hula hooping and like, like doing all of the stuff, like forget the gym. I'm just doing the stuff that's, that's really fun. And one of the things that, um, that I'm thinking of, and I actually did an episode on this was how to set intentions for every day. So like every day I ask myself three questions, how can I be healthier today? How can I be more connected today? Yes. And how can I feel more purposeful today? And I'm listening to you. I kind of want to add a fourth one. Like, how can I play today? Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. I love no, it, that. it reminds me, I wrote this on New Year's Day. I wrote the the fun joy play index because yep. everyone writes down the like, what am I gonna accomplish this year? Right. Like, what are the things I'm gonna and I was just like, what type of fun do I want to have this mm. year? You mm. know, what type of connections do I want? And by simply doing it this way, I had a totally different year. Wow. Like, because I was, I, because the, the whole power of play for me um, is the idea that you're letting go of the results. Because when you have, like, I believe expectation is where a, a ton of suffering happens. Right. Mm -hmm. You're like, I should have been in 40 (laughs) under 40 by now. I should have, you know, like these whole should haves and like, you know, where you're supposed to be. And this is why I hate those lists that are like 30 things that you need to do before you die. You know, just like, dude, you don't know me. You don't know what I love to do (laughs) before I die. Right. Right. You know, um, and it's just like this race. And it's like, it's not a race. It's Mm. a playground. It's always been a playground. And like, whether you're like at the top of the mountain at the playground or you're hanging out, like, like no one will really care when you die where you're at. Yeah. Like you just like, what, what do you want to do with the time that you have? And of course I'm speaking from the privileged first world standpoint, right? Of course. We have the luxury, you know, in the Western world to have the choice to be like, what do I want to do today? A lot of people don't. Sure. So um, one way in which, one thing I talk about a lot, um, or I end my inner critic talk a lot with, is the uh, the Goodwill hunting construction scene. Do you remember that? Oh, gosh, remind me. So at the end of Goodwill hunting, Matt Damon, you know, who's the genius, right. is um, talking with Ben Affleck and he's basically saying like, I'm going to be here with you for the next 20 years. You know, we're going to hang out and we're going to raise our kids and take them to Foley field. Right. right, And Ben Affleck's like, if you are here in 20 years, I'm going to kill you. Right. Like I'm literally going to kill you. And then, and Matt's like, well, you know, what's the issue? I don't understand. And he's like, well, you, you have a gift that none of us have. Mm. And, and Matt's like, Oh, why does everyone tell me that? That's just ridiculous. And it's like, no, you know, that I owe it to myself and Matt and, uh, Affleck is like, no, you owe it to me. Mm. And you would owe it to all these, all these other guys at this construction site, because any of us would give anything to have what you have. Mm-hmm. Like being here is a waste of your time. Right, right. And like that idea of like, and then he says, you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket and you're like too scared to cash it in. Mm. So like, I actually believe when you're able to quiet your inner critic and own your superpower, like we all are sitting on something that we know is super special about us. And it's just like, we need to, we need to own it. Yeah. We need to 
And not only do we need to do it simply because it's going to be good for us, we, it's actually a gift you need to give to the world. And like Howard Thurman says, like, you know, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive. Yeah. Because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. Come alive and that's yeah. it. It's like truly showing up fully and embracing who you are, because then that gives permission for somebody else to do that and another person to do that. And that's really, I feel like, the gift that each of us can give. And we have that opportunity. So why in the world are we sitting in traffic <laughs> and doing a job we don't like, Absolutely. you know, or in a relationship? Um, you know, my friend Angie talked to me about like this whole philosophy of open hand where like um, many people focus on the relationship, but then they don't focus on each other. Yeah. Like yeah. they care more about keeping the relationship going and how it looks to other people than actually with each other. And yeah. it's just like, dude, yeah. like, let's have more fun. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, oh are we going to wait this. till retire so that we can have fun? It's like, what? That sounds horrible. Yeah. Or wait till like we go travel and then we, and then we make travel a work work wise because we're like, we got to go here. We got to go here because we're going to maximize everything. We got to get it on all Instagram. And it's just like, dude, just relax and figure out what brings you some joy. I love it. I love it. All right. So for my final question, because I love all of this, and we've been talking about this sort of in the abstract. So I'm going to ask you the question yeah. that I ask everybody else. Yeah. So what brings you purpose in your life? What brings you, what is the thing that really lights you up? What makes you come alive? What makes me come alive is, um, I'll answer it this way. So a lot of people ask, so what do you play? Like, do you have hobbies? Yeah. Do you have, and I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I actually just, I just see the world through play. So when I'm like at a conference, you've seen me. Yep. And I'm just a playful, ridiculous person. And it gives permission for others to also start playing. That is what brings joy to me. Like, mm -hmm. that's part of the reason why I wear the bow tie. It actually reminds me not to take myself seriously. And it also communicates to everyone else, like, this guy is not taking himself seriously, so you should, like, hang out. If you're a nerd, then you should hang out. <laughs> and I just, I love being the person that, like, helps start the dance floor, you yep. know, that, like, gets people to, like, take risks that they didn't think were possible. So, like, just that part of, like, bringing more play into the space is the part that, like, just lights me up. Well, God bless you for it. I tell you what, I have had so much fun at conferences with you. Um, and if our, will I see you at our mom two O this coming up? Yeah. Oh, all right. And I'm bringing my daughter. So we're all going to have to play. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the make light show. My sweet friend. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This was super fun. Isn't just so much fun. I was particularly impressed with the way that he always knew that play was going to be a part of his life. And he was dogged about ensuring that it happened. He really is just all about joy. And I love that he views play as an important part of self-care, not to mention innovation and creativity. So how about you? Do you play? I admit I'm not great about making sure that play is a big part of my life. Maybe I need to change that. What do you think? How do you incorporate play in your world? Please leave your answer over at the comments at the show notes at themakelightshow.com, where I'll also leave more information about today's guest, Jeff Harry, and how you can contact him if you want to have more play in your life, work, and business. And with that, that's it for today's episode of The Make Light Show. 
Now, don't forget, check out LimeRetreats.com and use coupon code COMEINLIME to join me at this intimate one-day retreat in Houston, Texas on Saturday, November 16th. And as always, if you'd like to work directly with me one-on-one in achieving any of your particular goals, please visit KarenWalren.com to learn more about my leadership coaching practice. I'd love to help you make life in your own life and work. And finally, if you're looking for other ways to infuse your life with purpose, but you're finding yourself a bit stuck, well, send me an email with any questions and challenges you'd like me to tackle on Karen at themakelikeshow.com. And you might just hear an answer to your question on an upcoming episode. I'm Karen Walrond, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks with all new tips and tricks to make light. In the meantime, be sure you subscribe, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss a thing. And with that, keep on making lights, friends. Mm-hmm.